I want to invite up um, the Aaron. Aaron, come on up. You're going to be he's going to be teaching us again today. Yes. He was with us last week. He's going to be continuing on in our series, um, learning to pray, people of prayer. And so last week, I was um, I was very encouraged. Great. Teaching on fasting this week. Man, you raised that thing up so high. <laughs> Sorry. Like I'll lower it before up I up to my leave. shoulders. <laughs> as tall as you are in physical stature, I'm going to turn this. You're even bigger spiritually in oh, your dear. stature and godliness. That was a good it transition. Is, it is humbling to have you come and be with us. Great. Love you. I'm so grateful hey, for you and so. Trina and the example that you are in following Jesus. So I would encourage you. Listen to this man of God. His heart is big for the Lord and for people. He is trustworthy. Let's press in to not only hear the words of Jesus, but to obey them, to seek to follow him more. Amen? Amen. All right. Okay. Thank, you, Thank you. Good morning. I feel like it's been about a week since I've seen you. See, if my son was here, he would roll his eyes at me. That's considered a dad joke, but I'm proud of it. I wanted to... Um, encourage you with a couple things. First of all, I thought uh, Pastor Devin's call to serve uh, didn't feel heavy. Sometimes when, when I think about church and we're calling people to serve and what I hear other pastors do, it's, it's usually kind of to make people feel guilty. I felt encouraged just from the way he was calling and urging you to be involved. So I just want to say I appreciate that. Second, um, I know very little of you. This is, I think, my sixth time uh, here to preach, um, but if, if I go to Huntington Beach after this for church and they say, oh, where were you? I'd say, oh, UCLA. What are you doing? I'm preaching. What kind of church is it? I, I think if one of the first few uh, traits that would come to mind would be prayer. Um, so, so I came a few minutes early. You guys are praying. Um, as I'm leaving, because I need to leave a little early, you guys are going to have some communal prayer. Uh, I think last Tuesday was first Tuesday fasting and praying. So to be to be known as a church of prayer, I think, is, is the right path. And, and I hope that encourages you. And I hope you'd continue with that uh, so that you would be known not for your flashy schedules and incredible pizza parties, but, but if, if we can be a, a group that seeks the Lord faithfully in prayer um, so, so that, you know, a month, a year from now, when we do see God answering in big ways, we won't say, well, look at the committees we have you'll be able to say, well, you know, God answers prayer, and, and you can go on from there. I also wanted to, to say that um, if there's something I said last week or this week that you wanted to connect about or, or about um, our ministry of Remain to, to walk alongside people in suffering, if chronic illness or if grief and sorrow is part of your story these days, I'd like to get to know you and connect. Um, remain with us at Gmail. Uh, is, is our email, or if you would like to hear uh, about more about the ministry, you want our newsletter, or the, the few podcasts that we have where we share more of our story, and then the other one I'm teaching verse by verse, any of that, remain with us at Gmail. We can go from there. Colossians 1 is where we are this morning. The passage is in the bulletin insert, but you can also open up in your Bible, and as you do so, let me pray for us. Father, how good it is that in Christ we have access to you always. I think about 
theme parks and season pass that have blackout dates and restrictions and fine print and hidden fees. But when we have this season pass, this life pass, this access to you, it's free and it's full and it's always. So wherever we are in whatever condition, we can run to you in prayer. And we know that you're listening. As I was reading from Isaiah 65, before we even finishing praying, you are answering. Thank you for that eagerness. Thank you for this group who is, is seeking to be a church of prayer. Hear their prayers. Answer them in big ways. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. What if we make it a priority to pray together more as a church? What if we stop ignoring or forgetting a gathering for prayer and instead come with a sense of desperation and utter dependence on God? What if gathering regularly for prayer becomes normal? becomes what we do. What if we pray instead of complaining, gossiping, harboring bitterness, instead of busying ourselves with everything else, instead of filling our schedule with more committee meetings to fix the church? What if this becomes known as a praying church? What if we include prayer in the ongoing rhythm of how we do church? Where might this church be a year, five years, ten years from now? A 19th century preacher once said, and this is in the bulletin insert, Satan dreads nothing but prayer. His one concern is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, he mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. What if we don't pray together? What if we assume that everyone just prays on their own? What if corporate prayer means just two minutes of praying right before a meeting? Uh, what if prayer is just overly formal, dry, and just overlooked? What if we give excuses as to how hard, how repetitive, how exhausting prayer is? What if, on the other hand, what if we roll up our sleeves and get to work to fix the church? Instead of seeking prayer as the means through which God will restore and strengthen the church. What if we talk a lot about prayer instead of simply praying together? What if we say, oh yeah, I'll pray, I'll pray for you. I'll pray about that. Instead of praying right then and there, and then you forget. If we have that kind of an attitude, where might the church be a year from now, five years or ten years? I don't think I need to convince you that something is, is missing in our prayer lives. If I were to ask you, how are you struggling with your prayers? What would you say? Maybe for you it's exhausting. Long list of issues and names and you don't know where to start. It feels heavy and draining. Just even if you think about praying for the sick, how many names come to mind? Five, 10, 25? Maybe for you prayer is just confusing and repetitive. So for example, there are five or big, six big items on your prayer list, okay? A God, family, friends, church, some decisions you need to make, issues of suffering. And so you cycle all these big items in your prayers and you end up maybe saying the same things about the same things. And so the problem then is not about the consistency of your prayer, but maybe the method of your prayer. 
And so this is how you pray. Uh, please help. Please guide. Please save. Repeat. And that repetition feels cold. Why should we continue? Or you think about the acronym ACTS, or FACTS. Faith, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. And so you assume, okay, I got to do one minute of adoration, uh, one minute of confession, one minute, okay, just a few more seconds of, and that kind of formula and mechanical manner of praying is just dry and boring. We don't talk to people like that. I don't go to my wife and say, one minute adoration, you are beautiful today. Uh, confession, I'm sorry, I didn't do ironing last night. Uh, thank you for the muffins. We don't talk like that to people. Why would we assume that praying in a, in a weird, robotic, mechanical way is okay? Maybe for you, you're simply discouraged. You pray about anything and everything that comes to mind. You look at your watch, it's been four minutes, and you don't know what's wrong. Maybe it's just boring. Passionate prayer, prayer for revival, fervency in prayer seems foreign. Instead, we politely endure the time of prayer. We have a prayer time after church. Ugh. We endure. By praying, we're speaking to God most high, creator and king overall, all glorious, eternal, and yet we're just shrugging our shoulders. Or maybe for you, you're, you're continuously distracted. You start praying, but you end the first, by the time you end the first sentence, you get a text. You're, you think about what you watched on TV last night, and you have one more item to add on your to-do list. And by the end, you're feeling more guilty and frustrated, discouraged, deflated, defeated in prayer. So wh what do we do? Where do we go? While teaching us to pray, Jesus invites us to address God as our Heavenly Father. Through Christ, we're adopted into the family, and God is now our Father, not just Creator, Father. With the indwelling of the Spirit, we have this genuine assurance of this reality. God as Father, that is a foundation for prayer. This changes everything. We come with holy reverence, but also with joyful confidence that God is with us and for us to whom we have access through the blood of Christ on the cross. If you scan the Old Testament, you'll come across about 14 references to God as Father, uh, always referring to Him as the Father of a nation, not individuals. So He is Father overall. But Jesus came and changed that. He referred to God as Father 60 times, especially in His prayers. He starts with this, the Lord's Prayer, Our Father in Heaven. The theology of the fatherhood of God should propel us as a church to regular, corporate, powerful prayer. We have access to God as Father. We have the indwelling of the Spirit, the same Spirit that is in all believers in every part of the world throughout all of history. So if we have the Father, then there should be something quite simple about prayer that maybe we're missing. We have access to the Father. Not only that, we have access to the Scriptures. And so, what if we pray with open Bibles? What if we pray what we read? To receive the Word and then pray the Word. To reflect on what we read, to find the words for what to pray. If you want to read more, Donald Whitney, Praying the Bible. Excellent, practical little book. If you need a copy, I'll buy it for you. Praying the Bible, Don Whitley. So consider, for example, 
opening up to the book of Psalms in the morning and using those words to give you a pattern to praise God, to confess sins, to lament over suffering, to bring your petitions to God. Or what if you flip over to Matthew and you go through the Lord's Prayer to guide you in praying for and with and over your spouse and children? Or what if you turn to the epistles and you get to Ephesians 1 and Philippians 1 and 1 Thessalonians 5 to pray through those prayers for others in church? What if this church regularly prays Scripture together? How God-centered would your prayers be? How helpful in reflecting and absorbing the Word of God? How fresh, how focused would our prayers be? And that is why I'm turning our attention to Colossians 1. My aim with this message is that we would learn to pray this passage for this church on this day. Colossians 1, based on these verses from 9 to 14, let's pray that the people of this church would be filled with the knowledge of God that leads to a gospel culture That's sustained by gospel doctrine. One more. Based on these verses, Colossians 1, 9-14, let's pray that the church here would be filled with the knowledge of God, a knowledge that leads to a gospel culture that's sustained by gospel doctrine. Let's pray that the church would know God more, a knowing that is rooted in believing and bears the fruit of doing. This passage here has the main petition that you would be filled with the knowledge of God. And that petition of having the knowledge of God has a purpose, that they would walk in a manner worthy of God. That is why I said a knowing that leads to a gospel culture. But what does that mean? It means to bear fruit in every good work. It means to grow in the knowledge of God. It means to be strengthened, to endure with joy, to give thanks for all that God has done. And then verses 12 to 14 is the, to highlight gospel doctrine. And so the culture of 10 to 11 is based on, is sustained by the doctrine of 12 to 14. In his book called The Gospel, Pastor Ray Ordland says, the need of our times is nothing less than the re-Christianization of our churches according to the gospel alone, in both doctrine and culture by Christ himself. The re-Christianization of the churches. Gospel culture, gospel doctrine. Again, this passage offers us a call for prayer. That as a church, we would pray that this would be a community filled with the knowledge of God. Not a knowledge that leads to pride, a knowledge that leads to indifference or coldness, but a knowledge that leads to genuine gospel culture. A culture that is not based on shallow, inconsistent, hypocritical living, but based on a gospel doctrine. Because without one, the church will be fragile. And without the other, the church will be hypocritical. Without the doctrine of 12 to 14, the culture here will be weak. And without the culture of 10 to 11, ah, the doctrine will be pointless. But when you have gospel culture and gospel doctrine, there's power there. And what if we pray this way, that God would fill each person with such a knowledge of himself, of his heart, 
His attributes, His commands, His desires, that we would go forth living daily lives with such fruitfulness and knowledge and endurance and gratitude that the only explanation is the gospel. So look with me to verse 9. What's the main prayer? Verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, we need to know what happened in the first eight verses to understand the and so at the beginning of verse 9. Paul says that Epaphras was a beloved fellow servant, faithful in the ministry. He planted that church. In chapter 4, verse 12, we read that he was always struggling on their behalf in his prayers so that they would stand mature, fully assured in all the will of God. And so Epaphras came, he taught the word of God. The people received it, heard it, understood it, learned it. And since that day, the gospel has been bearing fruit and growing. The gospel changed and was changing lives, not just the day of conversion, but since that day. And not just in the local church, but the gospel is bearing fruit all over the world. Paul is testifying that just about 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus, the gospel was bearing fruit all over. Crazy. And in the very midst of false teaching and hostile persecution, the spreading of the gospel was unstoppable. How? You see, the gospel filled them with hope. A genuine hope laid up in heaven, according to verse 5. The word can offer, uh, the, the word can refer to something precious that, that's hidden and protected, and nothing, no demonic power, no false teaching can rob the believer from such heavenly hope that's safe, that's protected in heaven for them. So the hope of future grace empowered them to have faith in Christ and love for the saints now. More and more faith, more and more love, all because of the hope that they have on the coming day. And this doesn't stay secret. News spreads. Paul and Timothy didn't plant the church, nor had they met the church, but they heard about this faith and love. They heard about this fruitfulness from the gospel. And since the day, they have not stopped praying for them. Ceaseless, thankful prayer. Imagine that. And this brings us to verse 9. We have not ceased praying for you. We, we heard that you received the gospel. The gospel was bearing fruit in you, not just you, all places. Just a few decades after Jesus went away, and we're hearing about the fruit, we hear, we give thanks, we don't stop giving thanks and praying for you, he says. Now, what if we pray this? Paul prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Knowledge was a, a key word in that culture. You see, the false teachers would speak about a secret knowledge, a special knowledge. Yeah, you start with Jesus, that's fine, but that's not enough. You need extra secret special knowledge. And so with this emphasis on special secret knowledge, they were diminishing the supremacy of Christ from the hearts of believers. That's why Paul wrote Colossians. To say, no, it's Jesus, all Jesus, only Jesus. And starting with verse 15, we have one of the most beautiful, rich passages on the doctrine of Christ in all of Scripture. And here, Paul corrects that false teaching and says, no, you don't need extra special hidden knowledge. All the knowledge of God 
that you need is yours through Christ already. The knowledge of God is through Christ by faith. Colossians 2, 3. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So that they would know the will of God, all that God desires, all that God delights in, all that God is worthy of, all that God commands, that they would demonstrate their knowing by their obeying, that they would be conformed to God's will. This knowledge of God's will would permeate every area of their lives, their thoughts, their affections, their purposes, their plans, that they would be led by God's will, that they would be controlled by God's will. The more we know his will, the more we will be conformed to his will, and nothing about us will stay the same. And in all this, it's by the help of the Spirit. It is by the Spirit who will enable us to receive and be filled with the will of God. The filling of knowledge is in and through spiritual wisdom and understanding, he says. Without the Spirit providing wisdom and understanding, we can't have the filling of this knowledge. So we don't need to be old enough. We don't need to be smart enough. We don't need to be experienced enough in the church. We just need the Spirit. And so if you're in Christ, the Spirit is dwelling in you, and He is giving you the ability to know God's will. And that is why we pray. And that is why we ought to pray as a church. This is the prayer. That the church would not be swayed with every new fad or pursue whatever the world considers cool or up-to-date, that the church would not jump to and be overcome by one hot topic after another, that the church would not be weighed down by heavy, immovable traditions of the past that are meant to be followed just because. Instead, to push through with knowledge that only the Spirit can give. That the church would, could have this feeling of the knowledge of God's will. That the church would display gospel culture. Not just the knowing of the mind, but the displaying with their, lot, their lives. That's the prayer. And here's the purpose. Verse 10. Why do we pray that they will be filled with the knowledge of God's will? That's the petition. What's the purpose? So, verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. The, Imagine TCLA praying this passage in this way for this community now. Living the Christian life here is described as walking, right? Because you don't just stand around. You, you move intentionally and daily from, from foolishness to wisdom and from sin to holiness and from self-centeredness to a place of Christ-centeredness. We're walking and we're walking together. And so this knowledge is not an end in itself. It is a means to the end goal of walking and walking and walking. Because the right knowledge leads to right living and right walking. So if someone were to come over and ask for a one-sentence summary of the Christian life, verse 10 might be a good place to go. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. What does that mean? It means, it means you please Him in every way. So that the what and why and how of our walk not only honors the Lord, but pleases Him. He smiles at this. Can you imagine your walk bringing a smile to God's face? That He cheers for you. That He comes to you with a spiritual high five. Let's pray about that. Let's, 
Let's gather together regularly to pray the Bible for this church, that this community would be filled with the knowledge of God, a kind of knowledge that displays a gospel culture. What does it look like? What specifically should we pray for the church? Paul gives the main petition to be filled with knowledge and the main purpose to walk in a manner worthy of God. And then he unpacks this with a few descriptions. Number one, walking in a manner worthy of God means bearing fruit in every good work. That this church here would bear fruit in every good work. Bearing fruit pleases the Lord. The church was already experiencing this, right? Verse 6, the gospel was bearing fruit and growing. The gospel that they received and learned from Epaphras was changing them. This future hope was the foundation for their faith in God and love for others. The fruitfulness of the gospel pushes us away from indifference, away from selfishness, so that instead we do good works, like signing up for one of the serve teams. We make sacrifices. We take risks for the sake of the kingdom. We are intentional to look for specific ways to serve and help and love. Listen, we're not called to do every work here. We're called to be fruitful in all our work. We're called to be faithful in the work that we are doing. What good works is God calling you to do as you are walking worthy of him? Let's pray about that. Let's pray, Father, help us do good. Not because we should or that we're pressured to do so, but by the, the fruitfulness of the gospel work already in us. That we would go with consistency and good work. Let's pray that God would protect us from burnout, from cynicism, from discouragement that comes with that. Let's pray that the fruitfulness of the gospel work in our hearts would be primary in sending us out every day. Walk worthy of God. And so... We pray that the Father make us fruitful in every good work. And we also pray that we would continue to grow in the knowledge of God. Didn't we talk about that already? You see, there's a cycle here. The more we're filled with the knowledge of God's will, the more we are fruitful in good work, the more we are fruitful in good work, the more we'll experience a deeper, personal, experiential knowledge of God. Obedience deepens our intimacy with him. To conclude that such a knowledge of God is not urgent or not important or not relevant or not exciting is a wicked lie of the evil one. What is more urgent? What is more exciting? This is the most non-boring thing ever. And so we pray, Father, save them from drifting, from clueless living, from spiritual confusion. May our children and our children's children zealously pursue a deeper knowledge of you. May our people be eager and desperate in their study of Scripture to know God in the very midst of suffering. Let's pray that the new generation of believers get busy in obedience, and as they do so, that they would know God more. The obedience would not be burdensome or a chore, but a means to a closer communion with God. May the volunteers and leaders of various ministries serve out of an overflow that their hearts for God would, be, would come first, and then they're serving their service to God. We pray for the church to be fruitful in good works, growing in the knowledge of God, and third, enduring with joy by the help of God. Verse 11, follow with me. 
May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience for joy. And uh, while reflecting on this passage, it occurred to me, God's power is mentioned as well as the need for endurance. They're both there. Because the presence of God's power does not guarantee comfortable living. We cannot put God, we can't put a, a box around how God works. Sometimes we see that power in the way God saves and God miraculously provides and does something so big, so undeniable that it grabs everyone's attention. And sometimes it all falls apart. While things get worse, that power is made known in the way he provides strength, in the way he provides endurance. So that when it is falling apart, they are still trusting God, still praising God with faith that is only sustained by God. Paul mentions endurance and patience. This is not about putting on a fake smile or whispering, I'm okay, when someone asks, how are you holding together, holding it together? This is not about macho spirituality or a denial of the reality of suffering in our lives. Endurance is about remaining while facing difficult circumstances. Patience or long-suffering is remaining while facing difficult people. We endure the circumstances. We are patient with the people. We're dealing with pain and disappointments and unanswered prayers and plans that are falling apart. We're dealing with bitterness and unforgiving spirits and hurt friendships and ongoing conflicts. Is there hope? Yeah, look at the verse again. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Now change the color of your pen and circle all the words in that sentence that have to do with power or strength, or might. Paul had a thesaurus next to him. He was looking for synonyms, it seems. One translation says, to be strengthened from God's boundless resources. When you feel finished, remember his resources for you will never finish. When you feel finished, look to the people around you who are facing and enduring with faith. Watch them and listen to them. When believers endure, utterly relying on the help of God while facing the hardest of circumstances, people cannot help but notice. We need more testimonies from the valley. We don't need people to come up in church for sharing time. Once everything is over and in two minutes, say how life was horrible, but everything is fixed now and there's a cute little red bow on top. We need to hear stories from the valley. We need people to hear how you are enduring in the midst of the hardest season. And when they see and hear that kind of endurance, everyone is encouraged and God gets the glory. What does it look like to pray this for the church? So we pray, Heavenly Father, believers, are, believers around us are facing such difficult days that they need all the endurance and patience. I just heard of a family facing a very difficult day tomorrow. May they have endurance and patience. We give thanks that Jesus is the king over all, and at the same time, we pray for his kingdom to come. We believe that hope is already here, but suffering is here at the same time. And so, Father, we pray that you powerfully provide all the help our loved ones need in the midst of sickness, pain, unemployment, financial stress, unanswered prayer, uncertainty about discerning your will, why they need wisdom for decisions, peace in the midst of conflict. 
Give them all they need, O God, for endurance. Not to settle for anger, complaining, deep doubt, but a waiting on God that breeds new strength. So let's pray. Father, protect the faith of younger believers from accepting lies from the evil one about your heart and your purposes and your presence in the midst of all this. And one more thing. This is not just endurance, but endurance that spills over with joy. Go figure. While the the world would would never consider putting joy and suffering in the same room together, in Christ these two dwell together. Because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven, because of the way the gospel is bearing fruit here and everywhere, because of the wisdom that we can experience by the help of the Spirit, because of our endurance by the strength of God, we can rejoice even in this. A joy that is seen in the midst of suffering is a joy that comes from a heart of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving over past grace leads to joy in present grace. When our days are filled with gospel gratefulness, our days will be filled with joyful endurance. Or to put it differently, such a gospel culture that displays gratitude, a culture that displays endurance, patience with joy, growth in the knowledge of God, fruitfulness in good work, comes from and is sustained by gospel doctrine. Verses 10 and 11 is based on 12 to 14. We can do 10 to 11 because of 12 to 14. Follow with me, 12 to 14. Giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's heavy. That's why we provide coffee. The coffee is to help you embrace heavy words like that. That's, that's dense. That's heavy. So let me see if I can unpack a few things. That's the gospel. May we never forget it. Forgetting the gospel of our salvation is directly connected to struggling with the growth of our sanctification. We forget 12 to 14, we're going to limp all week. How can we live for him when we are not sure of all he has done for us? How can we live for him if we forget the love of God, the Father, our new identity in Christ, the safety that we have by the Spirit? And so we pray that God would save us from perpetual busyness and noise and distraction which can foster a spiritual amnesia that is rotting our souls that we would intentionally and regularly look back to remember what Christ has done for us so that we would not be weighed down with a spiritual list of doing more and more and more, but we would start here by believing more and more in what he has done. Imagine that. Don't feel pressured to do more and more in the Christian life. Doing more, doing better. No, no, no. Let's believe more. Let's believe better. And when we trust in the gospel, that's going to help us to live differently anyway. Because this gospel doctrine makes that gospel culture possible. The life for Christ comes from a life in Christ and with Christ. Because of the life that we have 
from Christ. So uh, the Christian life doesn't start with, you need to live for Jesus. Look at all that you need to do. It doesn't start for, it starts from. We look at the life that we have from him, the good news we have from him. Then we understand the life that we have in him and the life we have with him. And that is the foundation for a life for him. If we get the order confused, I did for many years. And I felt very guilty and very overwhelmed. Because I just didn't understand the gospel from him and the life in him. And all I thought I need to do was my spiritual homework of doing more for him. What do we have from Christ, 12 to 14, is what leads us to life for Christ, 10 to 11. So these last few verses, listen, are not a request for God to do something. They're already done. He isn't praying about something that they don't already have, but that they would grow in their awareness of how spiritually rich they really are already. Because in Christ, we are already qualified to share in the inheritance, already delivered from darkness, already transferred to the kingdom of light, already redeemed and forgiven. Christmas morning every day for the Christian. And so we pray that even though we don't deserve and terribly fall short, he makes us qualified. He comes with grace to adopt spiritual orphans like us so that we can enjoy the blessings of being sons and daughters of the king. And so we live worthy of the Lord, not so that we get qualified to share in the inheritance, but because we already have. And so we pray for the church, knowing that we have already been delivered from darkness. We are heirs of light. The war is over. The battle has been won. Jesus defeated death by his death. He rose again victoriously over all evil, sin, death, and Satan. More than that, we're saved from the holy God himself. Jesus faced the punishment upon himself for all of our sins so that through him we can have peace with God. A full, restored relationship with God. The one we are invited to know. This is how we pray for the church. With assurance that believers are saints with a heavenly citizenship already. Who live here but belong there. Christ has already relocated his, his people. It's done. So as you think about the church and the way you pray for the church, we need to let go with a sense of hopelessness, as if we're on the losing team, as if this is impossible, as if the church will always be this week. We need to spend at least four hours reflecting on 12 to 14 until we can see 10 to 11 differently. Because of what he's done already, because we are in his kingdom already, because we have hope not just for the future, but hope from the future. The doctrine of the second coming of Christ is not confusing. It is not scary. It is part of our reality today, already here, now. Because while we have resurrection hope for that final day, God is at work in the church with resurrection power on this day. And so we pray differently. We're already qualified already delivered, already transferred, already redeemed, already forgiven. Jesus paid the price with his own life. He paid a debt that we could not pay so that we would get a blessing we did not deserve. Right this very moment, those of us in Christ are no longer enslaved to sin. 
We've been set free. We are under the new ownership of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus who forgave us from our sins. The sins that dishonored his name, broke his law, grieved his heart. He forgave so that we can have fullness of peace with the Father instead. Our sins were sent away so that we can draw near to God. To have God. To have a fullness of knowledge of God because of the gospel doctrine so that we can live out this gospel culture. Will you be honest with what's holding you back from praying regularly for the church? Has prayer been exhausting, confusing, repetitive, discouraging, boring, distracting? Why? Instead, will you consider committing to praying for this church with an open Bible? Open to Colossians 1, 9-14. What if we pray like this? What if we pray the word from God for the church, for the people of God, with the help of God, for the glory of God? What might happen if we pray like this? What might happen a month from now? What might happen a year from now or a decade or a generation from now? Let me pray for you. Father, forgive us for our narrow-mindedness, the way we have an overly cynical tunnel vision when we sometimes come to church as if we're on the losing side, as if we're empty, as if we're orphans. Fill us with the knowledge of gospel blessings like in verses 12 to 14 that would propel us to live differently And have a culture here filled with the gospel. Lord, may we not forget this. May we think about this today. May we think about this all week. May we pray this way for this church. Because we can't do this without you. In Jesus' name.